Are we ready? What's our posture coming to God's word tonight? Do you believe that something sacred, something holy, something significant is about to happen? Gee, this doesn't bode well, does it? We're about to come to to God's word, the living, active word of God. And so I want to start tonight by asking, what's your posture? We thought a bit about posture in the Sermon on Meekness. What's your posture as you come to God's word now? Do you have the Bible open in front of you? I pray you do. I pray also you've got a pen and a sermon handout. It was encouraging to hear three weeks ago how much more engaged people were in the sermon when they were taking notes. So I'd encourage you to do that all the time, not just when I'm kind of forcing you to. It's a chilly night tonight. The temptation is going to be to snuggle up to the person next to you. Can I encourage you, don't do that, especially not you, Royce. I saw that. That's not going to help you stay focused on God's word, is it? So I really want to challenge you tonight. We're about to do something significant. God is about to speak to me and to you through his word. So let's come with the right posture, a posture that's ready to receive and to hear and to be changed by God. And I want to pray before I begin. And I'm not praying just because that's what we do, not kind of just baptizing a sermon. I want to pray that God genuinely, truly speaks to each of us this evening. And so if you're ready, if you want to hear from God, please join with me as we pray together. Lord, I believe and I pray that we believe that there is something significant about to happen here in this space tonight. More significantly, though, something significant is going to happen in our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit. Your word tells us, Lord, that it is living and active, that it penetrates our hearts and our minds, that it can penetrate even a long, tiring day and our exhaustion. It can penetrate our divided, scattered minds at the beginning of a week, that it can speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray boldly before your throne now that you might speak to us this evening. Would you be gracious to us and instruct us and change us and shape us into the likeness of Jesus? And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, our world places enormous emphasis on the outward, doesn't it? We've got 18 gyms. I counted them this week on Google Maps. 18 gyms between, uh, within nine kilometres of us here at Nara Baptist Church, all dedicated to helping us get the perfect figure. There's three whole aisles, I counted them during the week, at my chemist, dedicated to skincare alone, all to make sure that our skin stays tight and blemish-free. Our social media feeds are are full of people looking their best. You've only got to go out to a restaurant and you'll see people there with a camera taking the same photo again and again and again to make sure they've got just the right shot and they look okay for a watching world. Whether it's looking good in the newest clothing line, you can't be wearing last season's gear, whether it's enhancing with plastic surgery, 
or perhaps masking the effects of age. Our world is obsessed with the outward, with the external, with the physical. Now, of course, it's, it's good for us to take care of our bodies. They are temples of the Holy Spirit, after all. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, physical training is of some value. There is some benefit to those gyms we have. But I think the fact is we've lost all perspective in our world today to the point where the the external, the physical, is valued so much more than internal things like character and spiritual maturity. I was thinking this week, you know, even to say these days that someone is beautiful on the inside, that's considered to be offensive, isn't it? Why? Because it kind of implies that someone's not stacking up on what our world considers to be most important, the, the physical, the external. It's mad. Well, and this evening, as we continue our series in the Beatitudes, looking at what it looks like to live the God-endorsed life, the life that we've been called to and empowered to live in Jesus, we're going to be challenged, I pray, to be more concerned about the purity of our inner selves than the beauty of our outer selves. As we're going to see together tonight, preoccupation with the external, being focused on what you can see, isn't a new thing. It was just as common, albeit slightly different, back in the first century in Jesus' day. You see, back in Jesus' day, people were focused not so much on physical appearance or fashion, but on external religious conduct. What I mean by that is being seen to be doing the the outward expressions of faith and piety. It was all about, even if it was just a surface level, it was all about looking in front of others like you were devout, like you were faithful. Do you remember Jesus' harsh rebuke for the religious leaders? This is what he said in Matthew 23. Woe to you! teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead and all things unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus isn't interested in outward acts when your heart is far from God. No, as we see in our our beatitude tonight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so friends, tonight, in order to unpack this beatitude together, we're going to ask five questions, and they're there on your sermon handout to follow along. The first is the foundation. What is the heart? Do you remember back to that first beatitude we looked at where the phrase poor in spirit indicated the kind of poverty that was in view? Well, it's the same here. Pure in heart shows us the kind of purity that Jesus is talking about. Sometimes when the word heart appears in the scriptures, it's talking about that organ that all of us have that circulates blood around our bodies. 
Other times the word heart is a reference to the middle or the center of something. But more often than not, it's the inner self, the inner self that's in view. A good example of this we find in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 3, from verses 3 to 4. We're going to look at this passage in term 3 when we work our way through this book. But here Peter's writing to wives in the church, and this is what he says. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You see the word inner self there in verse 4? That's the Greek word cardia, from which we get the word cardiac. It's translated heart here in the Beatitudes. That's what Jesus is talking about, our inner selves. This week in our house church groups, actually, we're going to get a chance to unpack using the scriptures the the, the multifaceted view of the heart that's in play in the scriptures. But for our purposes tonight, the heart is the inner person. It's what governs not just our emotions, but our thoughts, our desires, our motives, our will. The heart is who we are on the inside. It's the spring, if you like, from which our our words and our actions flow. Okay, so let's take a look at our second question. What's the condition of the human heart? And God's word offers a pretty sobering cardiac assessment for us all. Genesis 8.21 Every inclination of the human heart is what? Evil from childhood. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things. It's not a great assessment, is it? Jesus said the same in Matthew chapter 15 in our key passage for tonight. In this passage, he's, he's answering the Pharisees who were criticizing his disciples for eating without ceremonially washing their hands. And this is what he says to them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus, you see, Jesus isn't worried about hand hygiene here. No, he's making the point that the heart of our problem is the problem of our heart. That's the context of our beatitude today. Our hearts need purifying. They're full of murder and immorality and theft and slander. They need to be cleansed. And that's what Jesus offers, friends. Through his sacrificial death on the cross, in the words of Acts 15.9, he's cleansed our hearts by faith. 
At our morning service this morning, we saw Mike and Debbie Hogan go through the waters of baptism. Their, their outer body, their external body, going through water, being cleansed, symbolizing the internal, inner purifying that Christ had already wrought on their hearts. That's the only way our hearts can be pure, through the washing of Jesus' blood. And as those who have been washed by Jesus, we're called as his disciples to strive after purity now so that we might ever increasingly correspond to what will be with him in eternity. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Let's narrow this down a bit. There are three main characteristics I want us to see tonight. Three key characteristics of what it means to be pure in heart. And the first, and this might seem like a paradox, but the person who is pure in heart mourns over the impurity of their heart. Let me say that again. There's space to write it down if you choose. The person who's pure in heart mourns over the impurity of their heart. Purity of heart is, is grounded in the reality of the, of the Beatitudes that we've seen thus far. Recognizing that we're, we're spiritually bankrupt, that we're desperately in need of God's grace. Hungering and thirsting after more of God and more of his presence. Being pure in heart doesn't mean being sinless, but being conscious of our sin and deeply burdened by the impurity that still dwells within. So I want to ask tonight, do you mourn over the impurity of your heart? I know you've got an impure heart because I do too and the scripture says we do. Do you mourn over that? Do you weep over the fact that there are sins that continue to entangle you in your life? Do you mourn like the Apostle Paul does, that the good things that he wants to do, those are the things he doesn't do. He does the things he doesn't want to do. Do you feel that intensely? Do you mourn that? Do you hate the sin that lingers in your life? Or honestly, do you actually really quite like the sin? You just hate the idea of it being found out. Because friends, one is what it looks like to be pure in heart. The other, well, honestly, that's a sign of hardness of heart. The pure in heart mourn over the lingering impurity of their heart. Have you ever heard someone talk about having to choose between their head and their heart? You know, often we, we kind of see that dilemma in Hollywood rom-coms, don't we? You've genuinely, you've genuinely got a, a heroine who is beautiful and articulate and she needs to choose between two suitors. You've got the, the dashing, handsome, athletic James Bond kind of guy and then you've got the dependable accountant. And she has to choose. Do I have all of my dreams fulfilled by this dashing man or am I going to lodge my tax returns correctly? Ladies, Choose the accountant, okay? Dependable. But, you know, 
as hard as it might be sometimes when we're in that dilemma to, to choose between our head and our heart, that actually isn't the hardest challenge that we face. It's between the two different directions that our heart tries to tear us. Deciding when our heart tells us to seek love and hope that way or seek it that way, to choose God's way. That's the greatest challenge we face, I think. And that's the the core of our second key characteristic. A person who is pure in heart is undivided in their loyalty to Christ. A person who is pure in heart is undivided in their loyalty to Christ. God loves a broken heart, but he doesn't love a divided heart. We see this in Psalm 24 that Ryan read at the start of our service. If you've got a Bible, please flick there back with me now. Psalm 24. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 in particular, but I really want you to have this open as I read. This is Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Andrew's paraphrase of that, who may come into the presence of God? Who may be in the presence of the Holy One? The answer, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Do you see what David is saying here in this psalm? That the pure in heart are undivided. They don't claim to be be worshipping God whilst equally be serving foreign gods or idols. They aren't compromised. They aren't torn in their loyalty. They pursue the one true God with sincerity. The scriptures speak a lot about the perils of double-mindedness, don't they? In our Old Testaments, we see the prophets rebuke Israel again and again for making a big show of their outward religious observances for making sure that they offered their sacrifices and circumcised their children. But these outward acts betraying an underlying unfaithfulness of heart. That's why Moses urged Israel to circumcise their hearts and not just their flesh. The reality is, though, that is a challenge we all face, isn't it? The temptation to live double lives to be a different person in a different context, to laugh along with the crude jokes at work, but be a different person at house church group, to be the bully on the playground Monday to Friday, but all prim and proper on Sundays. Maybe that's you. You go to to great lengths to present an impressive image to make sure that no one sees the real you. In fact, perhaps you've you've woven such a web of lies, you don't actually even know who the real you is anymore. Friend, please see from God's word, even though it might impress others, it doesn't fool God. In fact, as we see in the Gospels, nothing makes Jesus angrier than hypocrisy. Because this, And this is our third key characteristic. To be pure in heart is to be one inwardly 
as well as outwardly. To be pure in heart is to be pure inwardly and not just outwardly. There's a huge difference, friends, between being pure in heart and pure in outward behaviour. Take a look at what Jesus said. Turn back with me to, to Matthew 5, if you will. Take a look at what Jesus says just a few verses later from our key beatitude tonight. Matthew 5 from verse 27. These are words that will be familiar to many of us. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? That our internal purity is to match our external purity. Jesus isn't saying that sexual immorality, the the external act, doesn't matter to him. It certainly does. But he's saying the external is not enough. He's more concerned with the internal, with the state of our hearts. Take a look at what he says just a few verses later in chapter 6 from verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Whilst it's good to pray in public. It was good that Cole led us in prayer earlier this evening. Whilst it's good to do that, we should be much more intent in praying in private. And so do you see, friends, the question we should be asking as those who seek to be pure in heart isn't, am I having a daily quiet time? No, it's, do I love God's word with all of my heart? The issue isn't, have I made a couple of care calls this week to tick a box and ease my guilt? No, it's, do I love others with all of my heart? Love them as myself, like Jesus has called me to. The question isn't, am I giving? But it's, is God's grace and mercy so overflowing in my life that it overflows in my wallet as well? The question isn't, have I booked my ticket to heaven? But now do I long for heaven and the presence of God because he is my greatest joy? Do you see how seeking after purity of heart changes the question? We're not to neglect those external acts of righteousness, but to pursue consistency between our heart and our actions. A pure heart is what makes our actions clean, not vice versa. So, how do we grow in purity of heart? How do we grow practically in this? Well, I think the the underlying desire of someone who is seeking purity of heart is captured well in the testimony of Augustine, a man that Brett mentioned last week. 
Augustine describes how as a young man who had yet to come to faith. Augustine grew up in a home where his mother was a believer, but he didn't come to faith in later, until later in life. He describes how before becoming a Christian, he prayed this, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Lord, he prayed, make me chaste, make me sexually pure, Lord, but not yet. Do you see how he still wanted his, his lusts to be satisfied, not extinguished? Well, compare that prayer to one that he prayed after he came to faith. Power of my soul, he prayed, enter into it and fit it for thee, that thou mightest have and hold it without spot or wrinkle. That's seeking purity of heart, wanting your heart to be without spot or wrinkle before God. And one of the things I love about this prayer is that he recognizes that it's God who will do it. Power of my soul, he says, enter into me and make me fit for your presence. Recognizing that like all of these beatitudes, we can only grow in purity by God's power and with the means he's provided for us. So let's look at some of those means now. The primary means, of course, is the word of God itself. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11, actually answers this very question for us, how we can become more pure. How can a young person, or person of any age, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Just like a purifier removes impurities from water, so too functions God's word. It purifies our, our thoughts and our affections. It filters out the muck from our lives. It changes our heart to desire what God does. It sounds almost too simple, doesn't it? But that's what God's word does. It refines us and purifies us into his image. Friends, the hypocritical, divided heart flees from truth. It hates a hard, direct sermon. It hates a tough conversation. The pure heart, however, the heart that we should all seek to have, as hard and as confronting and as humbling as it is, loves the searching power of the word. It loves truth. Of course, we need to accompany the purifying word with prayer. Do you remember what David prayed in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart, O God. We too should pray that very prayer praying more for pure hearts than full wallets, praying more for holiness than for our health. So I want you to think back just for a moment or two now over your prayer life over the last week. What dominated your prayers? Was it that you'd pick up more work? 
That's important. Was it that you'd be relieved of your health struggles? That can be a challenge too. Was it that you'd get good marks at school? Was it that the cool group at school would befriend you? Would it be, was it that that pretty girl would start paying attention to you? Was it that you'd win at sport on the weekend? Was it that your cat's diabetes would be healed? Or was it that God would reveal in your heart those deep sins that you don't even know are there, that he might cleanse you from them? Did you pray, coming before God with tears and weeping, asking that he would cleanse you of your sin and your impurity, that you might reflect him more? What dominated your prayers over this last week? Did you pray for purity of heart at all? Or was it all the worldly stuff that's ultimately of no consequence? We need to pray, friends. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Related to that, I've touched on this a couple of times already, but this is crucial to being pure in heart. We need to ruthlessly deal with, with sin in our lives. In that passage in Matthew 5 that I read earlier about adultery, I don't know if you kept reading from verse 29 onwards, but this is what Jesus went on to have to say. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's challenging, is it not? We need to be ruthless, friends, in rooting sin out of our lives. We need to be more committed about about this than anything else, pursuing purity in the name of Jesus. And please see, it's not just sexual purity. I trust we've seen tonight purity is much broader than that. This is the battle that we face day by day, isn't it? Particularly to avoid complacency in our battle against sin. It's so easy for us to let sin begin to take just a little bit of a root in our lives and then it bubbles and boils and overflows and overtakes. The pure in heart abhor sin. Let's now finish with a final and probably the most important question of all. Why bother? Maybe you're sitting here tonight going, yeah, I can see that, Andrew, but what's the point? Sounds like a lot of effort. Why would I do this? Well, there's lots of things we could talk about. We could say that we're to pursue this because God is holy and we're to be like him. Do you remember that refrain from Leviticus a couple of years ago? Be holy, the Lord says, because I am holy. Another reason is to display his glory and his purity to a watching world. But I want to focus instead on the marvelous promise that Jesus makes. The undivided loyalty of the pure in heart will be be rewarded with their greatest hope. They will see God. And that is the greatest reward. Because you know what? It's only the pure in heart that actually want to see God, isn't it? 
The people who are impure in heart, they don't want to be anywhere near the presence of the holy God, for they know that means judgment for them. And so I want to say tonight, perhaps a little provocatively, if seeing God and being in his presence isn't a source of joy for you, either one, you might have misunderstood the gospel and the hope that is found in Christ, or perhaps you need to consider if you've accepted the gospel at all. Because the one overarching desire of the believer is to be in the presence of our holy God forever. As is the case with all of the Beatitudes, there's a short-term and a long-term fulfillment in play here. So we're going to start with the short-term as we wrap up. Now, you might be thinking about a particular verse from Exodus at the moment. The fact is, no human can fully look into the face of God and live. We read, we read that in Exodus 33.20. But in Jesus, the author of Hebrews says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In Jesus, friends, we see God. How so? Well, we see God in our conversion, when we respond to the gospel message. We see God at that point and enter into intimate fellowship with Jesus. And from that point on, we see God everywhere. We see God at work in our lives. We see God at work in our world, in the events of history. We see God in the scriptures. We see God in prayer. We even see God in trial and suffering as he refines us. God gives us eyes to see him at work. That's the short term. We see him now with the eyes of faith. But we also look forward to seeing him face to face. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. As we close, please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. This is the last passage we're going to look at tonight. It's the last chapter of the scriptures. Revelation 22. Because one day this beatitude will be fulfilled literally. And here we have a vision of the world to come. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you see what John describes there in verse 4? That language is no mistake. They will see his face. All those who have faith in Christ will one day see the full, undiluted, unhindered glory of God, experiencing the wonder of his presence 
and unfading glory. The ultimate blessing of the single-minded, single-hearted person who pursues God with sincerity is exactly what their heart has always longed for. Communion with God forever. Why don't we pray that God will purify our hearts more and more each day? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, your word humbles us as we consider the true condition of our hearts. We confess that we are sinful from the moment we take our first breath, that the impulses of our heart are for evil again and again. We thank you that you sent Jesus to redeem us, that through his blood which flowed at Calvary, we can be cleansed from our guilt before you, that we can be washed white as snow, that we can have hearts that are pure now and for all of eternity. Lord, it is our desire that we more and more embody this eternal reality in our lives day by day. We pray that you might help us to mourn over the lingering impurity in our hearts. May we abhor, may we detest the sin that continues to entangle us and help us to be strong and courageous in putting it to death in our lives. Help us, Lord, to have hearts that are undivided in their devotion to Christ. May we not be fools and seek to worship pagan gods and the idols of this world as well as you. May we be wholehearted in our devotion to you. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to not just be hypocrites, outwardly pure when people are watching and we want to, when we want to put on a display, but give us purity on the inside. Hearts that long for you, that flow out in words and actions of grace and love. We want to be pure of heart, O Lord. Please do that work in and through us by the power of your Spirit and for the glory of Jesus. Amen.